You're listening to the Gabe Molina Podcast. Like Sharper. this, this close, but this, yeah. this height, this length. It sounds good. I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Carla's here and Katie's here. <laughs> Water-wise, everybody good? Yeah. All right, because we're rolling. Mackie Alvarez, I am super excited to have you here. So I told you earlier why I kind of started the podcast, and when I was kind of coming up with a list of people a long time ago that I wanted to do, you were on it. And then uh, I actually had a conversation, uh, we, we scheduled something, and uh, we set up a time and date to have you out, and it was funny because uh, I talked to Dad last week, last weekend, and, uh, you know, the older we get, the more, the fewer weddings we go to and the more funerals we go to. And uh, I guess you had spoke at a, at a funeral in town uh, recently, maybe the past couple of weeks or so. And so dad said, you know what? I want Mackie to talk at my funeral. And I said, what about me? And he said, nah. He said, just, you can talk, but just make sure you got Mackie. <laughs> so... You are uh, you are from, from Georgia, West Texas, my hometown. I went to high school with your son, boom. And uh, you've always been involved in a lot of things that I see. And like I told you a minute ago, if it's a funeral, if it's a graduation, if it's a party or a fundraiser, you are there. And in my opinion, you are uh, forever Miss Live Oak County. That's what I think. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So what a wonderful opportunity it is to be here with children that grew up with my children and now they're successful young men. And I, uh, like he so said, much. my name is Mackie Alvarez, but let me give you my full name, Maria Magdalena Garcia. Oh. And then I added the Alvarez to it, but I became Mackie when I was born in March 18th of 1953. Because you I recently had a, had a birthday. Yes, sir. Happy 69 birthday. and doing fine. <laughs> My brother, who was stationed in Alaska in uh, Anchorage, received word that he had a baby sister because I am the baby of nine. Oh, okay. So he kind of didn't like that name, Magdalena, and being I with think it's the. Beautiful. Being with the Eskimos, we figured, he thought that Mackie was more appropriate. Oh, really? So when I was growing up, my dad told me that he honored my older brother, Renato, who we know is Sapo, that wish to say, okay, he's not here, he's not going to see her, so her name is Mackie. So being that, it stayed forever and ever. Now, get this, if I try to cash a check and it's made out to Magdalena, They'll say, oh, I'm sorry. She has to be here. And so I have to show ID. That is hilarious. Everybody knows you as Mackie. Yes. And it's such an original name because I can't think of anybody that has ever been called that. So it's interesting that he even came up with that name. That's awesome. I was born uh, in a hospital. I, I think I was... Uh, one of the few born in my family, I mean, in my family, to be born in a hospital in Beeville Hospital, and I was the last of children. So we were very proud of the fact that I was going to be the baby. <laughs> but then, you know how we are in our culture. My grandmother lived right next door in the barrio. We live in the Manchaca barrio, mm -hmm. and so she saw that, and then. 
my mother had other children. Uh, we were not close in age. My sister is 10 years older than me, and my brother is six years older than I am. So you know how you have that inspiration to say, Ay, mijo, she's so pretty. Dámela. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my dad or my mom hesitated on that wish and that request. So for six years, I lived with my grandmother, Maria Teresa oh, really? Garcia, right next door in the barrio. And, you know, I, I learned a lot from them. I learned that I had a loving grandmother, but I also learned that I had loving parents because they, they made that sacrifice. We lived like two feet away. We were neighbors, but she, her little hut was house was two feet away and then we lived in the house she did not have indoor plumbing we did she did not have a bathroom but we did a shower and and you know things like that nature but it was fun I loved it I had my own bed but I went to eat next door all the time (laughs) and and being that being hers and my parents I got very spoiled from both then it was time to go to school. Ooh, that was not a happy <laughs> thing because I had to leave my grandmother and go to school. Upon her death that we lost her, it was very sad. Yeah. And in those days, Gabe, we had the rosaries and the visitations at home, but I didn't want her to be in our house. Uh-huh. I wanted it to be in the house that her and I shared but that was not possible because it wouldn't accommodate all the things that needed to be done. So I felt kind of sad because I, in my heart I felt this was my mom and dad's home with me coming on, but this was not her home. I wanted them to see her in her home, but oh, that didn't happen. So it, it, it took a toll on all of us. I How old were you at that time? I was eight years old. Okay, so you were still little. I was still little, but we we had a bonding together. We had a bonding together. And that's funny that you say at the funerals that people want me to talk in their funerals. Because I think at that year, at that time, I was introduced to the love of being in funerals. (laughs) My dad, my mom, there was not a funeral that they did not attend. Yeah, Because we knew each other. And we helped each other in circumstances of losing a loved one. And in those days, you took care of family at home. There, there wasn't, I don't recall a funeral home in George West till way much later. Oh, really? So that introduced me to that. And I, well, I let me ask go you to this. all these funerals. Let me ask you this. You know, I, I try real hard to, uh, I try real hard to make as many funerals as I can. And, and in my opinion, it's kind of my opportunity to pay my final respect to somebody. You know, maybe even if it's somebody I haven't seen in a long time. And uh, uh, I think as I get older, I can handle it a little, a little better. But I tried to go to as many as I could. And it was just a, a huge weight, you know, being at these funerals and, and seeing people hurting and, and missing. And and so I know when, when we lost my brother, Ed, you were there. And uh, you told me earlier that you, you work at Galloway's now. Or that's one of your jobs. I think you have like seven. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Almost. But, you know, what is what is your, how can you tell somebody, because you're involved in a lot of funerals then, how do you approach it or what's happening at the funeral that you're seeing that somebody else isn't, that keeps you from getting emotionally drugged down, I guess? I think the first thing you have to do is you have to uh, tell yourself, I am here and I have a purpose to be with this loving family. 
you know, you want to say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I think that, that as, as you get older, you don't want to say, oh, I know how you feel. Sure. Because it's, it's kind of hard. And some people don't like for you to tell them that because we may not know how they feel. So I think the important thing to say is respect and love. Show the respect and say, oh, I loved your brother. He, you know, and share a memory. I've learned that sometimes the family is very heartbroken and taken away from a sudden death and or someone that was killed in an accident or that, you know, COVID took them or, or whatever the circumstances were that bring them sadness. It enlightens their heart when you're able to share and say, when I was in the sixth grade, your son was a friend of the family of my brother, and he just had such a good time. We laughed, we shared. Or if it's an older person and you know, just say, oh, I remember when your mom and dad were always at our parties or at the festivals, or I missed seeing your dad at football games when he wasn't there, but I know that you know, he'll be cheering you on. Make that memory of them enlighten their heart and ease their pain to say, someone cared. The important thing is to say, I really care for how your family was while I knew them. I really paid attention to the things that we got to do together, whether it be the clerk at Ben Franklin, and now you know that she passed away. Share that memory and say, I enjoyed going to... Cortez's taco shop and getting my favorite taco or I enjoyed <laughs> this and that so that they will feel that you really did know them and that you also will miss them. Well, I love that. I love that you have the strength to participate in those types of events when people were very vulnerable. And uh, because I, I really, regardless of how you know, uh, the last funeral I went to was my brother's, right? And your heart broke. <clears throat> you have you have uh, uh, feelings that, of of anxiety and, and sadness. And for me to see you there gives me comfort. And I think that the personality that you have and the person that you are. I can't imagine that doesn't do that for other people. That when they're when they're emotionally torn, to have, it, it, I'm not even saying anybody else. I'm saying you specifically. There, I think brings comfort to people because I think regardless of of what level that interaction of people that have had with you, it's it's. I would venture to say the majority been extremely positive, and to be in a position where you're you're going through such an emotional event to see your smile to see your hear your words and to just have your presence it's comforting and i i can't help but say in my opinion you're a godsend to a lot of people and to a lot of us because uh you've always been there in some form or fashion for most people and it's always been positive so that's one thing in particular that I love about you. And doing this podcast, I was super excited because you're that person. You know, when people think about e- events and things, they think about you because you're always a part of them. And I love it. Thank you so much. And another thing on that subject matter, it you have to prepare yourself to what you want to say and what you need to feel when you are there. When I'm at the funeral home, 
I consider myself a funeral hostess. Mm. So if I see that the family is a quiet family and just sometimes holding their hands and hugging them is just enough because they can feel your heartbeat and two hearts will beat together. Now, I have been approached, needless to say, to be a spontaneous, oh, my cousin, he was going to give the eulogy at the funeral, but he didn't make it. Could you? So I'll just go into my little office there in my desk and quickly write something and remember my thoughts and then offer extended prayers to them. So sometime something very simple, something to the point and to get a good message across is good and showing them that you care for them as much as God will care for them in this life after. And uh, Mr. Galloway and I, we have a good rapport with that because we share our concerns, and uh, the funeral home in George West does a super job of making sure that emotional uh, needs are met and everything that involves a funeral. So that is special already, knowing that you have a purpose there. So thank you so much. Besides working at the funeral home, I also work at the school in Three Rivers. I'm a cafeteria lady. Okay. Every Friday, it's called manners celebration. If they say good manners, I ring my blue longhorn bell, and they love it. Wait, you ring a blue longhorn bell in Three Rivers? That's okay. They love it. As long as I love it. the kids continue to say, please, thank you, and so glad you're here. Also, on Fridays with my pre-K and kinders, it's called Rock and Roll Friday. There, we cheer for the Bulldogs, and we have a good time. We teach each other how to cheer, and the first thing we say is, What day is it today? Rock and Roll Friday. (laughs) So the teachers kind of like it because I say, I'm giving them a private lesson on how to use their social media skills and how to talk in front of crowds and not be afraid to really say it. Yeah. Of course, you know, I'm an adult cheerleader also. Sure. I, I cannot be in, in a game without me yelling. And when they ask who I am, I always say, oh, that's my son over there. They go, oh, what number is he? Oh, he doesn't wear a number. Oh, he doesn't? No, he's the coach. Okay. <laughs> so that makes you everybody's mother when that you're the coach's mom. That makes me everybody's mother. <laughs> but growing up in George West, we had that. And I know that we uh, take time to share. I like to be the mother of the child who the mother can't come. Sure. I will volunteer at the concession stand. I will introduce at pepperalis. We will make up pepperalis. We will have a good time. I remember many good times, you know, of, of the kids yelling and, and saying, come on, Miss Alvarez, come on, let's do two bits. So I think that when you establish that camaraderie and that friendship with the crowd and that you can get up and, and do that, it, it, you're leaving a legacy. Sure. Like you said, what do you want your grandchildren to know about you? I want them to know. Momo would see a microphone or a megaphone, which I have too, a Longhorn <laughs> one, and a Kennedy one. I don't have a Three Rivers one yet because they haven't given me one. <laughs> That's my paycheck lid. <laughs> but I think it's important that we establish a camaraderie very, as, as much as you want to. If you're not a cheerleader, well, then don't be one. Yeah. 
If you can't be a funeral hostess, then don't be one. But find your talents. Dig deep inside and take care of it. You know, I I do enjoy everything I do. Let's talk about StoryFest. We started that when my dad, Ramiro Garcia and Veto Lopez, were two of the main storytellers. Oh, How really? did I get involved? They needed someone to introduce them, and I did not hesitate to raise my hand. So then you've had this kind of in your family then? Always in my family. Because, I, you know, George was, for people that don't know, and there's going to be a lot of people that don't know, George was is a, is a town of a lot of wallflowers, you know, to sort of have somebody who's outgoing, who is is Mackie Alvarez, uh, is very rare, but it sounds like it may have run in your family. It did, and I think we learned that I did from my dad, who always said, ah, never miss out, me on an opportunity. Get up and say what you want to say. Don't let anybody tell you, no, you can't talk about that. And that's because we like that. I yeah. like that. My dad liked that. You know, too, we were well known throughout the community of George West for the T&T Cafe. Yes. On 705 Brazos Street, right across the railroad tracks. We really enjoyed that. So Let me tell you something. My my family was your competitor, but y'all had better chicken fried steaks, hands down. So when Lee Alanis hears this, they had better chicken fried steaks, Lee. I'm sure he's going to agree. Well, you know, uh, both of the Alanis family and my dad's family, we were good friends. We helped each other out. If Anselmo or Esteban or anybody needed anything, we helped each other. If dad needed anything, we helped each other. You know, one of the, you always, you know, want to share things. But back in the day when Bob Reagan was the sheriff, the restaurants fed the prisoners. Oh, really? They did not have to have a kitchen so we were able to use our food business to go to the jail right there the original jail and Mm -hmm. bob reagan would say okay you brought three two meals at first it was just two meals breakfast and five o'clock lunch and the pay for that plate was a dollar a plate wow so if you had 10 prisoners you had made ten dollars for breakfast and ten dollars for the afternoon now if my dad couldn't do it on Saturday and Sunday, guess who he called? The people that were the competitors. And Anselmo and Esteban would come in, and you just took your little lunches on those tin little pie plates. Or We didn't have all that to-go stuff back yeah. then. It was very original. And it didn't have to have anything fancy. Rice, beans, spam, carne picada with papas. I just got super mouthwatery. Yeah, you know, <laughs> fun things like that, and they wouldn't complain. And the county was very receptive to the fact that, you know, the prisoners were getting treated right. Now, there were some families that expected you to, you know, take them a hamburger and stuff, but you couldn't do that unless yeah. you got permission from someone. And, and, and there was some very influential people that uh, tried to say, hey, you know, he's going to be there for a long time. Here's some money, so can you once in a while take him a hamburger? And my dad kind of got the idea and said, well, if I take him a hamburger... Let's take everybody a hamburger. Yeah. So that way it would be fair. And it was. It worked out well. Again, I think the compassionate and the care from the El Comedor and the TNT to take care of the community needs and not get rich on it, but get rich in friendships and camaraderies and meet people that, that you know, you would have never met again. 
The interesting thing about feeding prisoners is, I don't know if you recall Henry Lee Lucas? Yeah. Okay, they uh, were going to take him down the railroad tracks to, he was going to show him of some bodies that he had buried. Kind of like on the southeast side of town, right? When you're yes. heading like, towards Beeville. Towards Beeville. So he was dressed in white, and he was handcuffed to the deputies. And uh, Sheriff Busby, who was a deputy then, because he worked under Sam Huff, came and said, you know what, Mackie and Ramiro, uh, everyone doesn't get, is not going to get silverware because we can't have any knives. So we were, they were eating something. Oh, so at the time y'all did take silverware in. Yeah. Okay. No, no, not to the jail. They brought him to eat at the restaurant because they were going to, the train was going to come pick him up and take him down the place where he said there was some, uh, some, some things that they needed to know. Everyone got a nice lunch. Henry Lee got a ham sandwich, and everything was uh, plastic. He got, you know, he didn't need one. In. Because remember, they said that he had a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. So they said, keep the conversation short. Don't put anything out there that you don't have to because he has photographic memory. So my dad is like, puro mexicano, like, oh, mira, that's him. <laughs> but no parece. It doesn't look like he killed that many people. And we go, dad. Are you are not an expert on that? So you saw him too, then? Yeah. Okay. He was interesting. He was chew gum on the side of his mouth, and he did give you that look, like, "Hey, nice place you got here." <laughs> and then I would, well, you think, know, I would imagine some of those guys at some point they know who they are, and they know that everybody's watching them, and you almost get sort of like a celebrity status, you know. So I could see him being a little out there and, and maybe a little show offish. So. Yeah. That's interesting. The TNT was started in 1962 when I was in the fourth grade. My dad had an opportunity to buy it from some people that were in the oil field business and no longer wanted to do that. Now, what did my dad know about restaurants? Not much. He had worked for uh, Gus and Ethel Hoodman at the Western Auto and was a tire man, very successful in his trade also. But he just figured, well, I can do this. He took it on the, re, you know, he, he recapped all his ideas and he said, Gladys, if you and Mr. Tom Thomas will help me establish uh, the menus and teach me, I'll buy it from you. With the financial help of Gus and Ethel Hoodman and Ike, who were, you know, uh, just my dad's best friends, mm. my dad plunged into the restaurant. <laughs> so the community wanted to, to change the name. And dad said, no, it was an oil field town. And, and, and this would be the perfect opportunity to leave it then from 1962 to 1998. So when he bought it, it was TNT. TNT and we never oh, changed it. Okay, and there's okay. not an and to it. There's a mm. T period T. Oh, so, okay. Cafe. So he expounded on that and became successful and loved what he did and employed everybody that needed a job. We've had so many people come back and say, I got my first job there. <laughs> and I was so scared, but I loved it when we would make two or $300 in tips on hunting nights. And oh, yeah. it, it was very, very comforting to know that you could uh, employ people and, and let them become somebody on, you know, on that field of... Sure. With no education and yeah. whatever, so that worked out well. So in 1998, we did not continue it. My my parents had uh, passed on, and, and we didn't want to. The kids were getting older, my five children and I. We wanted to do things for each other and go to football games and 
not worry about it. So we didn't. But we had a good upbringing in the restaurant. The kids all got to work. They didn't like to work during the fair. Mm -hmm. The boys would hire other people to come work for them during the fair. (laughs) My girls did not like to waitress because they said it was too hard. But they didn't like the money. So they had a good opportunity. You know, dishwashing, cooking. Sean Ray and, and Ruben took an interest in it. And we enjoyed it for as much as we could. There's so still, out of all the kids, who was the most help? Sean Ray and Ruben. Okay. And Carla filled in for me. But, but only, she was third, though, right? Yeah. Only, you know, <laughs> I think she kind of gave me that excuse. Like, if you're in the hospital or if you're having a baby, then I will come and work for you. So, so then you went and had a baby. <laughs> we kind of did that but then we wanted them to be involved in school and they were they were academically involved and uh involved in all the sports activities so we wanted to continue that with them now going to back to the restaurant when i was first growing up in the 65 66 67 68 it, it it was interesting because it was booming with u.s steel so that brought a lot. And then we were able to get our the validation of the TNT is the same as it was before. Yeah. But before that, when I was 9 or 10 years old, we kind of uh, volunteered for stuff at school. And we had a student come in, like a foreign exchange student, who did not speak English, just Spanish. So they said, hmm, you girls... Who wants to volunteer? I raised my hand. They go, okay, you will help this student (laughs) with uh, reading. And then my two cousins, they helped with math and everything else. So we were taken out of the third grade. Oh, wow. And we went to the classroom with our special friend, new student. Y'all were young then. Yes. And I still haven't received my paycheck. And I'm not on the retirement fund either. But, you know, that's where we learned to help one another. It, it really it really was important to me because I look back now and I say, this student was given the best opportunity because we were there for her when she needed us and her parents and her family were so excited. Yeah. And she became successful, and we always look forward to that when we have class reunions. I know Glennis Strauss always says, I feel so bad for y'all because I missed y'all in third grade. (laughs) (laughs) But then we continued in high school. I was not an athletic person. I was not a cheerleader, believe it or not. I played drums in the band. And I okay. loved it. I loved it. I loved my band director. Did Ruben play drums? Ruben played trombone. Oh, trombone. Okay. Sean okay. Ray played trumpet, and Jason played saxophone. Carla played flute. What? And Melissa played the trumpet, too. Okay. But the ones that stuck to the band were Sean Ray and Ruben. Jason, eh, he really... He really didn't get along with other people telling him what to do. So let's just leave it at that. And Carla made a decision to uh, continue with her sports and her uh, academics, which was excellent. We really enjoyed that. Through the years, I still, you know, volunteered all my services. And then uh, Story Fest came. 
And then we said, holy cow, this is great. There was a meeting with a few of the community members under the direction of Rob Snyder, who wanted to bring a festival to George West. It was in 1995, I believe. Yeah. 1995. We met at the house of Betty Smith, who we were just so excited. Rob Snyder was a new lawyer in town. That was her nephew. We met. We said, okay, we can do this. What will it be? No fancy names. By now they knew my personality that I'm going to tell them what I thought would be right. So I said, let's keep it simple. Something that people will remember. George West Storyfest. Sold. <laughs> Took on. Okay, we need volunteers. Sold. We all volunteered. And then you, you got a job as a stage manager, which I loved. And then we had my dad telling stories of how he came to George West from Mexico at the age of 12. Oh, wow. Went to school in Robstown as they, they traveled on foot. And, and stopped at ranches to earn their keep and earn food and earn shelter. They wound up at the Line Ranch, which is on Freer, 59. But then his parents had relatives in the Robstown area, so they moved to Robstown. So imagine this. My dad is short and real dark, and he goes to Robstown. He doesn't like it there. They put him in school. He's 12, 12. And in those days, you had a contained class like you probably had First through third in one class. Mm. Coffee and sardines were for breakfast. Coffee? And sardines. So he said, no, he told his parents, I don't want to go to school anymore and I don't like it here. At that time, his uh, parents said, well, there's opportunities for us to go to George West. So that's why they came to George West and they worked and they worked and they found more work. Two sisters of his also came to to, to George West, and they all married. And, and it's funny because my brother, my uh, father was an only brother to his two sisters. Now, we are kin to every chapa in the United States of America <laughs> because my... Armando Chapa calling you out. <laughs> yes, which I love them. We are a good, strong, close-knit family because my mom brother, my mom's brother, married my dad's sister. Hang on. Okay. Okay? No, okay. we didn't commit anything wrong. You know, it's I just, just had to like, run it through real quick. Yeah, you just like a like a like just fun <laughs> stuff. And that was fine. She uh she married a chapa and my mother was a chapa and my mother married my dad and that was great. And then my dad's older sister married a like a third or fourth cousin to my mom. So she married Lucio Chapa, not Johnny's father, but another Lucio. So that was very interesting yeah. that someone would come and say, are you kin to Chapa? Well, don't even look up the lineage. Just say yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's more of a family uh, poll. Yes. The, okay. <laughs> and sometimes they weren't even related to us. It could be sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth cousin, but yeah. we consider that because that's how we grew up. You know sure. how you have older relatives... Both tío y tía, and they go, they're not your tío and tía, but out of respect, they sure. are our tía and tío. So my dad stayed, we stayed in George West. He worked at the Western Auto. He owned the TNT. He worked, he babysat. Friday 
235, 245. We're ready for the football game, mm. ready for anybody's football game. He made every football game for Ruben and Sean Ray and Jason as they all three got to play together, as, yeah. as you know. And, and we made some interesting trips with my dad. Just you know, that's, that's interesting of him to, at that time, uh, you know, to be able to have, uh, I guess, the courage to take on a restaurant. I mean, you know, when you've got a family and, you know, there's not a whole lot of people with a whole lot of money in George West, especially back in the, at that time, you know, to be able to say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take a chance and maybe with some help of some other, other people. But to go, you know, I have I have children that I need to take care of. But I'm still going to try and make this work because if it does, it'll be better for my children. You know, I'll be able to provide a better life for them than if I just keep doing the thing that I'm doing. You know, we all get super comfortable in in what we have going on that we we don't really take advantage of opportunities when they come because we're so comfortable in in what we're in already. You know, so at that time to be able to have the courage to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to give this a shot and to do it for as long as he did. That's, that's awesome. I mean, he, it, it, from what I get from you, he had a huge personality and a lot of confidence in himself. And that's, that's important. That's something that not enough people have, you know, I tell everybody for being fat and unattractive, I have way too much (laughs) self-esteem, you know, so to hear other people that have a lot of courage in them and and enough self-esteem to go, you know what, I can make this happen. You know, I talked to uh, Bo John years ago, and we had talked about, I think it, when times were getting tough, uh, you know, uh, back in 08 when things were slowing down. You know, and I always had this mentality that regardless of, you know, we were talking, regardless of anything that we do, we'll be successful. You know, we may struggle, but we don't have the mentality of not making it, regardless of what it is. So having that mentality has kind of given me, I mean, I still get comfortable in my job and say, ah, I'm just going to chill out here. But at the same time, I always say, well, if, if anything ever happened, I'd go get another job. And I'd figure it out and I'd learn it. And much like your dad, you have zero restaurant experience. But you know what? I'm a reasonably smart guy. I'll figure it out and we'll make it happen. You know, I love hearing, I love hearing that that's exactly how it was because it comes out in you. You know, a lot of times you sit there and you go, how is Mackie, you know, this beacon? You know, how is she so bright? It's got to come from somewhere, you know, and it sounds like he played a, a role in that, a big role in that. And it takes commit, uh, commitment and dedication and, a little, uh, like you said, thinking it out, not just plunging into sure. it like craziness. I know that we had the restaurants for everybody were so successful. And, you know, it, it wasn't a competition. It's how can we help each other? I mean, we bought donuts from the El Comedor and sold them at the TNT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we bought pies from Ferguson's restaurant and sold them at the TNT. If and- you waited at 4 o'clock in the morning, they were fixing <laughs> to throw them out. So that's when we would go and buy them. <laughs> and, and people transitioned from working at the El Comedor and they would go work at Ferguson's or they'd come work with us or their family. And we didn't argue or like, nombre, you know, we kind of shared the love of of having that companionship in business. You know, if there would have been a chamber of commerce, they would have been the leaders of the Hispanic chamber of commerce. You know, we lived in the barrio, the Alanises lived here and there, and we stayed in the barrio because we wanted to until 1970. I, we moved to 400 Burleson. Being in the restaurant business, I was the only one really involved because my brothers and sisters had already gone off. And so, but that 
ability to help their finances and help get my my older siblings in uh, school and and to travel and to give them the opportunities that dad wanted to have. Because my dad had six children from a previous marriage, they were much older than me, but he still helped in any way that he could to all of them. So I was still considered the baby. My mom, Lina Chapa Garcia, was a stay-at-home mom. She had no business being anywhere else other than it's a TNT. She was the hostess. Yeah. That's where I get it from. Oh, okay. And we made sure we had a jukebox that would play tunes for everyone to enjoy. Back in the day, you had a jukebox, and the jukebox uh, people that rented you the jukeboxes, Wayne Hitt, who was a sheriff in Sinton, they'd give you $10 worth of red quarters so that when things got kind of low that you didn't want to hear the after 5 o'clock drinkers and to take their stresses out and hear all those bad words or talk about somebody, <laughs> you'd take that red quarter and punch in any song that you wanted to. That's where I told Bob Strauss when he was very little that his family was eating. I said, I'm going to play you a song. Put a quarter in and I said, little Bob, Johnny Cash is in there. And he probably had a great imagination there. <laughs> Looked through that little slot where the quarter went and said, I see him, Miss I see him. So now that I see Bob as a grown and successful person helping his community and mm-hmm. advocating for all of the issues that he loves to do, sure. I said, you really got started because I told you Johnny Cash was in that jukebox. <laughs> so we laugh about it, but we have good memories. Yeah. We can still walk or go somewhere and they say, aren't you, didn't you, the TNT? And I go, yeah, chicken fried steak, guacamole nachos, da-da-da-da-da. They go down the list of of the menu, and and we love it. It's like, oh, this is great. One of the most important things that my husband and I learned as being uh, the owners after my dad decided not to and we bought it from him was that number one rule of thumb in the Alvarez household, we cannot work together. We had different opinions. <laughs> we just decided that we should never work together in anywhere. So, but we still made it successful. Chuan still uh, magistrated and, and, and was the, the perfect cook and taught the boys well. But no one can make that brown gravy as good as my husband oh, does. He's, so it's de- he said the secret is deep down in his heart. He said, I sweat in it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we thank uh, Alfredo Vernal and, and my dad for committing to it's got to be perfect and it's got to be perfect. And we did. So we well, enjoyed that. Well, that's taking that. pride in it. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely. That's taking pride in what you're doing. It's really great. And, and like, again, during StoryFest, we were very successful in StoryFest. Well, Girl, let me ask you this real quick before we go to StoryFest. What was your go-to song in that jukebox? Uh, it was Ring of Fire B5 by Johnny Cash. Nice. That's a good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I, I, I liked it. You know, it would get the old cowboys, uh, Charles Cecil Campbell, who was, you know, he worked for the West Wards, and they would walk in with their spurs. Talbert Holland, who had uh, had lost a limb in the uh, in the army, and 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 he was kin to all the Hollands, and they would review their business days. Like, well, I got six hundred cattle, and you know, things that we didn't know about. You know, the city secretary that would come in and say, "Yes, I'll have a 
a five o'clock drink, but pour it in a glass. My chemistry teacher who would come in at night, Mr. Rockstead, and say, we'll have two of the usuals. I knew what the two of the usuals were. So, you know, little things like that, watching the Huberts grow up at the TNT and leaving big tips to the waitresses that put up with the shenanigans of four (laughs) ramping, raging young boys, watching uh, the business people of the community come, watching after the game, football cheerleaders and football teams. We, we, we fed a lot of schools after the games. I recall one story that Sean Ray told me. He goes, I hate to play with Stoso because when we're in the lineup, they go like, and we're going to go eat at your restaurant, and they make <laughs> ugly food, and Sean Ray said. They just fueled our energy. And we always had to feed Freer, Texas. Coach from Freer said, you know, our community is in the middle of nowhere, Miss Alvarez, yeah. and we can't take the kids anywhere where we're going to feed them. So we fed them for as long as Sean Ray and Ruben and Jason were in school. Softball, baseball, uh, track meets, we had to go deliver hamburgers because they would tell you, we can only pay this much, that's fine, we're not here to get rich, we're just here to make sure that you come back next year. Yeah. So that was the type of philosophy that we had, and we enjoyed it. You know, Freer, people don't understand. We played a lot of softball tournaments through dads, girls in Freer. And the only thing in Freer is dirt and rattlesnakes. There's not a whole lot more. (laughs) It's it's come up a little bit. But there's still people that say, "Uh, there used to be a restaurant that my grandpa said they used to come when we played. And I said, yes, you know, when you're in, in the business of meeting people, it's you've got to share that opportunity, but yeah. Storyfest was good to us. Storyfest was good. We it we still fed goes the bands. on, right? No, no. Uh, because a director found time of uh, being with family, we kind of stopped that. But we've kind of done the Dobie Dichos, which they go to the old Live Oak County Jail, mm. and some of the storytellers come back. And for the past two or three years, we've used the Dobie West Theater to highlight people of the community to come and still tell their family stories like you and I are doing oh, right now. Wow. So I participated in that, and you can tell a lot of secrets and tell the dirt on everybody, and she's not <laughs> going to kick you out of town. And that goes well. So we're trying to keep that going with the Dichos and come back, and uh, renovations have taken place. Thank you to Valero and Conico Phillips for always providing the budget money that is needed to keep that up. Of course, I love that. I love that it's opened back up. Uh, I I know you don't know this, but I, I don't like to toot my own horn, but I'm fixing to. You are talking to 1998 Best Supporting Actor at B County College, so I'm just throwing that out there. So when I saw that the Dobie was opening, at first I was like, I didn't even know there was a theater there. And then later on, because the only thing on that strip, all I knew was uh, uh, Mr. Ponce's barber shop, and so uh, seeing that open, it was like. That's awesome. I think I think me, mom, and maybe dad had gone to a concert there one time a long time ago, and uh, I love that you guys are involved in that place. It, it's to the um, successes of the people that wanted to revitalize it, mm-hmm. Marianne Pavlik, who got our grants, and the county uh, judges who really worked hard at promoting it, and then... It, it was highlighted at StoryFest during Ghost Stories. They would 
hold the ghost stories there. And then people started seeing how there's other theaters like in Shiner and in Cuero and other little towns that, you know, we took up volunteer uh, people, artists that painted the walls. And then we called on uh, donation sponsorships to promote the, the gold stars and, and the wonderful things that the money goes into the theater, but you walk in there and, and you're taken back. Sure. When I was in first grade, we would always make sure that in Christmas time, we wore white shirts or white shoes because we walked from the primary to the theater to see a Western movie, The Lone Ranger or Zorro. <laughs> Why the white shoes and the white shirt? So that we could see each other like, oh, I see your feet. Or I see <laughs> that was just something that I thought. But stories have it. My father and probably your father and your other family members would tell that when the theater man that originally owned it, I don't know his name, you know, it was very successful. On Sundays, Avia, uh, the Hispanic movies, you know, we would all go to that. You would take your lunch, your tacos. No one asked you for your taco then. They'll ask you for your taco oh, now, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't ask you for your tacos then. And and it was a thriving movie theater. You'd still have the little box office on the outside. Stories have it, known to be true, that Bonnie and Clyde pit stopped there. Oh, really? Caught a movie and went on to... They didn't rob the theater because I guess they thought, no, there's no money in here. (laughs) So they were on their, coming back from Bishop, I believe the story. I may be off a little bit, but it's very interesting. Very Very interesting. interesting. As it was refurnished and everything, we tried to keep some of the presentation and the walls. There are still some things that take you back. Because I was there. I love that y'all kept it like that. Yeah. As original as possible. It's really good. And now... StoryFest introduced that to the community, and, and it continued to be a highlight of that, and it really worked well with the directorship of the board of directors under the direction of, like, Glennis uh, Holmes-Strauss and all the wonderful people that work with her. They were able to start concerts in there, like you said. I think Patsy Torres has come yeah. and Dion Pride and so She's many. She's still pretty. She was pretty when we were kids. <laughs> Remember the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she came grade, to the gym or, uh, so, or the theater room. Well, we went to the Coliseum for being, oh, that take, one too. take away drugs or, yes, you know, I remember Red that. Ribbon Week. It was exciting to see <laughs> that. But people like that like to come back. It is, I'm going to really speak my heart out and not hurt anybody's feelings, but when there are community events such as that, I want to make sure everyone knows that it's it's for you too. Yeah. $30 a ticket, $20 a ticket, it's okay. It, it It's it's for the future. Like you said, what do you want your kids to know? Hey, my, I went to a concert there with my grandma and my grandpa. It's good. It, it's good storytelling. So, Glennis comes up with the idea. StoryFest is thriving and whatever. And uh, Glennis being the go-getter that she is and the hard worker... We incorporate the Dobie West Performing Arts Theater people. Has it always been the Dobie Theater? Or was it named something no, different back then? It was just the theater. Okay. But the Dobie West is because of the uh, Dobie. Yeah. Well, Mr. Uh, the Dobie family that has a lot of history in there and through grants and uh, the Dobie uh, county businesses, the big 
J. Frank Doby, the author, and mm-hmm. the wonderful things that he does. And there's a big uh, highlight of his story and his historical contributions to to the the community. So we thought that that would honor, you know, the the family members or the ancestors that are living. And it has a nice ring. Yeah. Doby West Theater, Doby West Dichos. So we did a, our first play that we did. I can recall was our town. It was so. Was much that fun. the one you did recently? No, the one that we did recently was the one about the trader houses. The, the <laughs> Christmas. I don't even know. I've been in so many. I think I have been in all of them except a couple, maybe a, a couple. But my favorite one was um, all of them are my favorite because it it it's it's really difficult to say. Oh, I like this one, but. The one where I played the different parts where I was the Russian and the this and that I had to learn that. <laughs> Glenda said, now where are you going to learn a Russian accent? So I watched uh, Rocky where he he boxes. <laughs> oh, the Russian? <laughs> where she comes out and I go, you know, and then I worked at it real hard. I worked at it real hard. But we've done, we've done, we've done lots of serious ones and lots of funny ones and... Lots of crazy ones. We did uh, Reader's Theater. We did one, the the dress, the shoes I wore, whatever, where you didn't have to memorize your part. You could read it. But we still memorize it. You know what's interesting is uh, when you were talking earlier about the people that came into the restaurant uh, and you're just... Dis- you're describing the different types of people and you're describing and, and you're passionate about each person that you're describing and I'm watching you do this in my mind I'm saying she's she's studying she's not just being a greeter she's not just inviting people in the restaurant for a meal she's studying different personalities and types of people and I can see you taking those and keeping them in your memory bank for when you do perform. And you can reach in and go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of this person. I'm going to take a little bit of that person. Because I can see that in you. And when you're talking about it, and I, I, I wish this was more video than anything else. Because you can see your mind going, I, I, I took this person years ago and I put them in there. And your body language changes, your facial feature changes, your voice changes. And I'm like, this is where she got it from. <laughs> of course. And I think that was all with my dad, too, who inspired us. Now... I am 69, and, and my parents were already a little bit older when they had me. So they wanted to make sure that I used every opportunity to have good opportunities to become who I am. Talking at funerals, you know, my dad uh, had a, a historical life. He, he Back in the day, if you wanted to marry your wife, you just didn't go and say, I'm here and I'm going to marry your daughter. You had to have like a sponsor, oh. un padrino. So guess who was the sponsor in George West? My dad. Oh, wow. Pablo and Sophie Bernal, Paul Bernal, always say, oh, when your dad came to uh, ask for my hand in marriage with Paul, I was so honored. I felt so privileged that your dad gave a great presentation and all Mr. Bernal had to do was just sit there and wink and look good and (laughs) kind of hold his shoulders up high and my dad did all the talking so that that is something so important that needs to be carried on so remember that 
when your son or daughter comes home and says, Dad, uh, he's proposed to me, and look at my engagement ring. Ay, mija, qué hermoso. Now, when are your parents and the padrino coming to ask for your hand? Because you kind of set the bench, you know, you, you sit together and you kind of look at each other. And another person is telling your story to this family. Now, the family, from what my dad would say, because I had a, a project in school and I had to take my dad to explain this because I needed to get points in um, homemaking for this. And he gave a good presentation at the cafeteria that was the old weight room for y'all. And people were like, I didn't know people did that. Yes, they did do that in hanging <laughs> around with Veto Lopez, too. I learned a lot of things about how you needed to respect your elders and how you made a business proposition and how you did a lot of things. And then people look at you and kind of say, you know, I haven't heard about that from a long time. Yeah. Because my mother was raised in Anna Rose because we are biracial. We are the Weston McCampbell family, okay. which made headlines as there was the, um, the presentation of slaves. And our story hit the newspapers and we got to meet a lot of our family and, uh, That makes me so proud. So through through the article in the paper, you were able to meet? Oh, yes, because it brought us out. You know, I knew that we were, my, my grandmother was uh, half uh, black, and uh, we enjoyed that. She owned the famous Anna Rose Dance Hall, which I did not sing there or MC there. I just made sure I kicked a lot of dirt up you in know, the air. It's crazy because, like, I know where Anna Rose is, but right currently there's nothing in Anna Rose. No, the dance hall was uh, after my my grandfather passed away, Romano Chapa, and my grandmother had already passed away. I did not meet my grandmother Regina Weston Chapa. I I met uh, some of my grandmother's aunts afterwards because my grandmother passed away first, which we called Pinky, and she left a legacy in George West. I remember mm. hearing stories about her that they said. She really rocked that ranch because being a McCampbell, they were given that property. It's a long history story. That would be another subject that we don't want to get into. <laughs> But I remember a funny story. One of my children, and you're going to have to guess who it was, went and said. <laughs> I already know. You know, I'm black. And the coach said, you're right. You can't even run. You are so slow. <laughs> And his response was, but I can dance. <laughs> so where are your other relatives uh, uh, residing? Where do they live? We have some here. And my mother's cousins, we're spread all over. We, are, uh, we still have uh, Western lineage in, in, in the Lival County because anybody who's assigned is related to us. And our grandmothers were sisters. So we take that with such pride. The Anna Rose uh, Cemetery, which is not going to be Uh, in the future done due to so many things that have to be done, we're going to make that a historical marker. Okay. So it's an interesting thing. Cemeteries are interesting to go to. You learn a lot of history from there. My, my grandmother had herself and three sisters and one brother. Norwick Weston. What an interesting that name. That is very interesting. 
Norwick Weston. So it's good. And and people said your grandmother was a great businesswoman. The Anna Rose Dance Hall was a big success. It was a big success. Friday nights with big name bands, puro conjunto brown power, brown soul. <laughs> you know, anybody that wanted to be somebody would be there. So it's interesting to know that You know, you need to know who you are and sure. where you came from and dig deep. And, hey, you and know what's, what's wonderful is like you're telling these stories and talking about the marker and, and in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long ago. We look back and go, oh, it's it's Carla's great-great-grandmother. You know, but when you think about it, you know, that's, that's three people ago. You know, it wasn't that long ago. There's so much interesting history and, and so many things that are there and we go, oh, that was... That was, you know, nothing's in Anna Rose now, you know, but it wasn't that long ago. It's very interesting. I'll tell you an interesting story. Is, uh, I probably can say it because my father-in-law won't listen to this. But he's black. His dad was white. His mom was black. And uh, he remembered growing up on a farm. And the, there was a, a white man on a tractor that would always pick him up and take him for a ride. And he never knew who he was. He found out later on that that must have been his dad. Funny story, though, he almost got court-martialed when he went to the Army because he told them who his dad was, and it turned out that that was not his dad. It was the gentleman that owned the farm. And so he almost got court-martialed for that. <laughs> and, and that's why the, um, the article that came out in the uh, Corpus Christi Caller made a big stand because it was slaves in in America or slave. It was during Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And the story is that, okay, my uh, grandmother's mother, Zella, was already name. in the States. And obviously she was the daughter of a McCampbell, a white prominent person. And I may have a few things wrong because I have to go look at my notes that I have at home. And through that... Mr. McCampbell, she was a housekeeper or a slave for him, wanted her to have the best of everything. So, you know, I'm real dramatic. I, I want to make a story, a novel, and I want to do be, it. I want to play Zella. He wanted her to have the best. So he did. He recruited someone to come from the Mississippi, New Orleans. There's so many stories where, where I have a cousin in Florida who really does good research and other cousins that are doing good research wanted her to marry somebody. And he did. He found Tom, Colonel Tom Weston. The war was over. This was in the 1800s, 1860s. And he recruited him over here. And he married her and then... For the purpose of marrying uh -huh. her. Uh-huh. Okay. And for the purpose of, of giving her something to look forward to. And then they had children. They had children. There's some missing dates there as to where were they between that time and the time Anna Rose got established. On his deathbed, he called for Tom Weston to come and see him. And that's when he deeded him a paper and said, all of these... Acres are yours. Do what you can. Provide for your family, for your daughters. And they each got 46.7 acres of land. Everybody came to get a ranch. Everybody married. My grandmother married Romano Chapa, who was from 
uh, San Diego, Texas, Mindieta, those little communities. Mm -hmm. And then my other aunts married this one, and my other aunt married that one, and my other aunt married someone in San Antonio. So when we had a reunion, oh, I'd say about 20 years ago, and this article came out, the um, editor and reporter of the newspaper went and did some coverage. And I don't think the Corpus Christi caller was very uh, happy with her reporting because it, it brought in the McCampbells who were very influential in the Corpus Christi area. And I think that some of their extended families or the heirs of, of them were not very happy with how it was portrayed. We weren't, no one, I didn't look at it as something ugly. I looked at it as something proud and meaningful to my family. Well, it sounds that way. Like, that's how I take it. I, mm-hmm. You know, from from what you're telling me, I get the I get the vision of somebody that really cared about somebody, that they wanted them to be able to have a life, the best life that they could, you know, and regardless of, of maybe, you know, you can sit there, you, you know, we, we always, we always try and judge a scenario years later, you know, what is a, a hindsight's twenty twenty kind of thing and go, well, maybe something could have been done a little different or if he really want, but at the time when these people are living in those moments and they're making decisions in those moments, you know, it seemed like it was something that he was doing because he really cared about this person and was trying to get her to have the best life that he could under whatever circumstances they were living in. So it's interesting. I think the question and his concern was, and the unknown is, was Zella the daughter of William McCampbell, mm-hmm. who had a mansion? And I'm going like, oh my God, it, this it makes is you Dallas, this is Dynasty, <laughs> this is the young and the restless, how exciting, that's how I looked at it. Well, you know, when you, when you were telling me initially, my first thought is, why is this man so, uh, so interested in the benefit of this person, you know, okay, maybe he cares a lot about her, but that's a lot of effort. You know, that's a lot of work to do for somebody that you just care about. So it makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder if there's more to it. And you know, when you really cut through it all, you go, it's probably pretty simple to figure out, you know. And uh, uh, so that's super interesting. I, I, you know, in my family, and I always kind of joke with people, but it's like, we never we we know our immediate family, and that's about it. You know, people ask, well, "What about your dad's family?" They're uh, they're onion heads from Mathis. That's all I know. <laughs> but to hear this story, it's it's super interesting. It's very Dallas and and Dynasty, <laughs> bold and the beautiful. Yes, but, but you take it in stride because you want to be respectful and you want to know your history. You sure. want to know. I want my kids to know. Sure. You know, I, 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 I love it when we go to family reunions and funerals and I'll have what other, the older generation, the older aunts and uncles, even though they're your cousins, you still call them tia y tío. I don't know. I love that. But when they look at you and they go, ay, mija, este muchacho looks just like Uncle Norwick, you know, or nombre, these are, you have beautiful children and, or they say, oh, you act and look just like your mom. Your mom was, was different. My mom was raised in Anna Rose and Mm. she had brothers and sisters and my mom was very chiflada. (laughs) She didn't have to work like my other mother's sisters did. I have an aunt who 
you know, ran and arose while my grandmother had passed away and she was responsible caregiving for her father, Romano. But she took him everywhere. She did, they did business deals. And I remember talking to John Thomas Lyne, the, the, the business of how they did uh, business with uh, Grandma Pinky and Anna Rose was like, you get there at four o'clock in the morning and we'll negotiate how we're going to cultivate this field or how we're going to plow that field. 401, you're late. You're late. Mm-hmm. And so she would, she would say, I'm not giving you the job. If she was satisfied with your appearance and your rapport of how you handled that interview with her, people would say she would cross her leg, pick up that long skirt, reach in that boot that was tied around, you know, with the laces, take out a little flask and say, now we toast. Deal (laughs) is done. Because she was proud of the fact. She was the instigator, the businesswoman, the dance manager of the salon she she wanted people to come and have a good time because there was another dance hall down the road el tocolote oh my god and uh the blue the purple sage the purple sage was only for people de color hmm. and i remember uh mr john thomas line would say we went in there because we wanted to cut a rug with all of your cousins <laughs> and, and you know what they told us oh no this is just for us you know it's those those windows that you would board up like at the consensus stand yep. and hold it with a chain and they said oh man our feet were just jigging and we were just watching <laughs> your uh, uncle norwick play the harmonica and do that and, and it makes me proud to know that they saw it like that they saw it as people Loving people and respecting people. At the bank, Ross Harris and uh, Mr. Stroman Harris, Ross Harris's father, and all uh, Margaret James, who was with the bank forever, would say, I loved when your Uncle Norway came into the bank to put in his money or pay whatever he needed to pay on his loans. Because first thing he'd do is with those, imagine this, Gabe, khaki pants, those little boots that we now pay hundreds of dollars for, <laughs> a little belt, a little vest, your little hat, and then reach in there and pull out your harmonica and say, I'm going to sing a tune and play for you a little bit while you get my paperwork done. (laughs) Where else could this happen? Because I I think that that showed respect and that showed um, a camaraderie that, you know, Margaret remembers it forever. You know, she remembers that. She said that was the highlight of the day when Norwick would come. (laughs) I wanted to wait on him because he was going to play his harmonica. And those are the things that we look forward to. It wasn't the wealth or the finances or the successes or the unsuccesses of their life. It was how they lived their life to promote a better life for you. You know what, what bothers me hearing all this? As I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking... How did we get so boring? You know, is it technology? Is it ambition for more money? Is it uh, trying to strive for status? I'm sure technology has a lot to do with it. But it's like, these are all all characters that are out of a movie. But this is how they lived. You know, people took care of themselves. You know, you see people going to Walmart in pajamas. You know, back then you did not leave the house if you were not dressed. You know, you wore a bow tie, you wore a tie, you wore a vest, you wore slacks, you wore dress shoes, you wore your hat. You know, you you learned an instrument, you learned a craft, you knew you were known for something. 
you know and it's it it kind of like a tiny bit depresses me when i sit there and i go we're so infatuated with history that we're not bother we're not bothering making any you know we sit there and we go i love the hearing this you know i really do and i sit there and go what am I doing? What are we doing? You know, we're sitting here going, we're infatuated with these conversations and we're, we're talking about how these people lived. And I sit there and I go, why are we living that way? You know, <laughs> why are we dressing like this and learning a craft or learning an instrument or learning a trade, you know, and being, you know, Mr. Norwick? Why are we doing that? It, it, you know, sometimes I sit there and go, I, and I'm just as guilty of it. And I, I, I like to get lazy and I like to lay around the house and, and not learning anything new and sometimes i'm like well you know back then you you had more time than you had money you know so you learned the craft you learned something you've you made yourself something you know and now we look back and go man that was i'm infatuated with that story but i'm not doing anything myself to to make my own history you know 50 years from now 100 years from now people are going to look back and go what did you do you know <laughs> you know but but it's not too late, and I think it's the initiative that one takes to, you know, I was reading something the other day. I love to read. I love to read good books and sad books and books on how to improve. And no, there's not too many that you want to improve because you need to write your own book on sure. how to improve. So they said, you know, there is going to come a time when we're we're not going to hear the stories. I know right. my story fest director Mary Margaret Campbell, who taught so many kids and. Her uh, her Doherty family was too a legacy of rodeo traditions, history. The Rob Schneiders of of uh, Livell County, the Smith family. Every every last name that you go and and look at, I'm sure there's the Molina last name, the Zuniga last name. All those people have a story. But like you said, you made out you made one very important point. We haven't told that story. Right. We have, you know, and, and and I know that you said like, oh, there's some people said, no, I can't go on the me in a microphone. <laughs> Olvídate. That's the same thing we had with Storyfest. Yeah. But did Veto Lopez and Ramiro Garcia shy away from that? No, because they saw the worth of it, the value of it. Veto worked for so many people and cooked. An interesting story about Veto is one time we came to Folklife Festival. Oh, really? Veto was invited to Folklife Festival <laughs> because we had seen Dr. Hector Torres at Texas A&I Kingsville, and I was Veto's taxi, and I would take him to any festival, Lions Club or whatever, and Dr. Torres said, you need to take him to the Folklife Festival in San Antonio. I will. They got us a room <laughs> and everything, and he told us stories. We wore big mariachi hats and the uh, he'd get an encore for his last performance was Ayan el Rancho Grandin. I kind of added oh, that's that's a good I got one. some stage persona and he would sing Ayan el Rancho Grandin. I'd say, Yonde vivía la rancherita. Oh, people would applaud. They said, Oh, it's so good that you and your father do this. I said, He is like my father, but he's a very special historical man. So we're walking down the Henry B. Gonzalez uh, thing before when they had Folklife Festival and Veto says, I'm tired. I said, yes, we need to go rest for the next performance. We had a room that had adjacent rooms. And he said, oh, yes, I need to rest. He said, but I need to call my son, Ernie. Okay, Veto. And then he would 
you know, you dial the phone operator. Well, she couldn't get through because I, I think there was a bad connection. And he got so pissed off because she couldn't make the call go through. I think Ernie, who was living in Freer, had a party line. And you know how that, those oh, things yeah. go. And it was a disaster. There wasn't cell phones. He got so mad, he told her, you know what? I'm not going to listen to you. I know he's at home. I'm going to hang up right now. So he really hung up hard. And then he said, picked up a suitcase and vamos. I said, but do we have a performance at 730? It's five o'clock. I need to make sure Ernie is okay. I said, okay. So I, I called the operator and I said, you need to really keep calling this number and have him call back. We're going to be here till seven. No, within a few 45 minutes, the phone rang, and it was Ernie. I'm fine. Hi, he was so relieved. Ay, vida, you know, making the sign of the cross. Ay, que bueno que estás bien. Dijo, oh, I'm having a good time here, and whatever. He just needed to hear the voice of the person he cared so much for. Yeah. And I told Ernie, oh, my God, if we would have left at 5.30, Ernie, we would have been in a lot of trouble because we would have disappointed everybody. Mm -hmm. So... People took the initiative. You know, my dad loved to be a performer because he was a professional chauffeur for Douglas Rhodes. Oh, really? A tycoon, a very rich person of Live Oak County who owns the Rhodes Ranch. Mm -hmm. No one knew anything about him, but every June, my dad would get picked up in his car and they would leave for a month. If he wanted to go fishing in San Francisco, California, they would go fishing. Oh, really? They wanted to go to a baseball game in Cincinnati, Ohio, watch whoever, they would go. If they wanted just to go to Oregon and fish for salmon or just see the sights, they would go. That's awesome. He had a personal relationship with him because my first uh, job for my dad, his first job for dad was working at the Texaco in downtown where now right across the street from the old handy stop. And that's where he met him. He said, I like you. My brother says uh, that you're a good driver. You're hired. Tell your wife that we'll be leaving in June, around June the 5th, and we'll be back June the 30th. Or whenever we want to. Is that okay? And dad would say, sure. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> sure, I'm going. A little suitcase, a paper bag, and my dad's little hat. And then my dad would say, we had the best time of our, our, our lives. If he wanted to eat at a restaurant and it was too busy and they wouldn't treat us, he would say, we don't need to be here. We were on the Golden uh, Gate Bridge, my dad said. And he didn't like the traffic. It was too long. We were going to be too late for the baseball game. He said, turn around. And my dad says, do you see the traffic and the lanes that we have to go through? He goes, that's why I hired you. You figure it out. <laughs> so, you know, my dad took a plunge to have an adventure, and I want to be like that, too. Well, you know, that, that says a lot, about, a lot about your, you know, even Ruben going to California. You know, it, you know it's, it's, uh, it's in the bloodline, you know, to have the courage to say, I'm leaving my comfort zone and I'm going to go on an adventure, you know, uh, my family was a lot less like that. And, and I don't know if, if, uh, you know, I don't know if it was a, a, a form of means. Dad's always been a very conservative kind of person. Hey, we need to work. We need to not, 
fun was always last, work was always first, you know, the bills got to get paid, you know, it was, we were raised that way. Growing up with Ruben, I could tell something else was happening in that family, you know, because it spilled into Ruben, you know, <laughs> and so to be able to, to hear these kind of stories, it's like, it's so exciting because most people, and even now we, we get around technology, you know, Corona shoves people back into their rooms and, you know, virtual reality lets you interact without even leaving the house. And it's like, you're, you know, we're not living life, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, throw caution to the wind and go get stuck on traffic in traffic on the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> you know. But that's up to the individual. Yeah. And if, it, if, if, if that's not you and you want to be at home, that's okay too. Right. But then find something. Perhaps you can use your creativity to write. Or to take pictures. How many people are now professional photographers and come and see my photography company? That's an asset, too. You know, you just got to feel it. That's what I say because, and I'm going to give you an example of how to feel it. I went to see Melissa play softball in uh, Victoria or somewhere, and and they were playing, and... um, they had a little broadcast like this, right in, right behind home plate. And Tamara, with that time, Elliot came and said to me, they don't have an announcer. Will you announce? I said, well, I, I, I watch baseball and softball, but I don't know how to announce. She goes, I'll tell you what to do. I said, do I have to do the little book where I feel in the diamonds? She goes, no. <laughs> and it was a bunch of Polacos, Polish names. And I said... I need a roster, and I need to make sure I announce these names right. Because the worst thing you can do as an announcer is to mispronounce a name. Sure. Especially when the parents are in the stands. <laughs> Somebody's going to get upset. So I, she, I said, bring me the assistant coach from the other team. It was Van Vleck that we were playing. And the man said, well, none of my people want to be. Th-. I said, I'm not asking them to be with me. I need a pronunciation. So I had a tablet like this, and it was like Rospanski. I knew how to say Korczynski and Watosik. I was very good in Duwatsik. Sure. <laughs> but there was some others, and I broke it down. And we did that. And so Tamron said, man, they like you. He said if you would, we got beat. He said, he said if you would go to the next game and announce. <laughs> <laughs> I even did the fifth inning stretch. Okay, everybody, it's the fifth inning. Let's all get up. Greet your neighbor to the left and greet your neighbor to the right and just give yourself a big hello. And they would go, we love that you broke the ice, even though we beat y'all pretty bad. But that was okay. So I said, okay. And then I did do some Little League announcing. I was, many hats that I wore in George West were StoryFest MC, Little League President, Little League announcer, high school announcer, pageant coordinator, Live Oak County pageant. As I met Sarah here, I said, oh, I remember your routine to the love track. She goes, oh, my God. Why did Sarah I ever probably do- love that. <laughs> so we, you know, those are the things. I did the pageant for 10 years with great directors, Katie Hines and everything. And now it, it's, it's not the same. We had talent. Things have broken down due to the availability of Again, the big V word, volunteerism. So if you can volunteer and you don't want to get out of your comfort zone, take yourself to your primary class, elementary, junior high, high school. Just greet kids. 
every kid likes for their name to be called out. Hi, Gabe Molina, how are you today? Here's your class. Hi, Carla Alviar, I came here to read you a story today. I'm Mrs. So-and-so. Those little things, 15 minutes, make a big impact sure. on people. And, and that's what I like to do. Like my husband says, do you have to do everything? <laughs> and the answer At is... At this point, you do. I prepare myself. I say, no husband of my life, the best husband. No, I don't have to. But here's the real reason. I want to. Yeah. Subject close. Yeah. Well, I think on that topic, I want you to, I want you to tell everybody who might be listening to this, who might be a little bit of a wallflower. Give them your encouragement on how to... What is that? What is that song? Leanne Womack, where she says, "Is it Leanne Womack?" Where she says, "If you have an opportunity to sit around or dance, I hope you dance." So, give everybody some advice on whether they should sit around or dance. If you're within the listening voice of Mackie and Gabe here, having a good podcast, look where we are now. Think of how. Oh my God! I can't believe Gabe is on a podcast. Oh my God, I can't believe Miss Alvarez knows all the stories that she can tell and still remember. You can do it too. And it takes liking who you are. Do you have a lot to tell? Well, of course you do. You came into this earth to be somebody. So be that somebody. Don't think you have to impress for success. Do the little things that matter. Take hand in hand with your uh, family members and say, come on, let's do this together. I'm going to show you how to do this. You don't have to have a degree, a specific talent. You can do lights at the theater. You can collect tickets at the softball game so that that person can be alleviated. You can clean the dugout after your little league game and high-five each little player how great they did. You can tell the coaches, y'all are awesome at the football field, even though you go to a football game like Weldon Cook, who doesn't have any children, and just congratulate the players and the coaches. You can enjoy yourself by telling people, I am positive about my life. How about those people that have had it real bad? No one's going to listen to me. I had a big drug problem. I, I was not a good student. I, I, I didn't finish high school, but I have a great job. Then that's the story that you need to tell. How about just loving yourself and like uh, Gabe has, has uh, impressed on me? How can I be a legacy to someone how can my children know who I am? Make yourself known. Make yourself the person that values your own life. If you don't like yourself, come on, guys. Resurface and love yourself. Look in the mirror and say, I am strong. I am confident. I am beautiful. I am a person of interest. You want to know how interesting I am? Let me tell you about it. It all involves a positive attitude. 
Have faith in yourself. Have faith in your family. Have faith in those who support you and those who knock you down. The ones that support you are going to be good for you. And the ones that knock you down are going to be even better for you. Because you can build yourself up and say, Hey, vato, I did it. Mira, aquí estoy in the Alamo Draft House playing a song or here I am on a podcast. But don't let others tell you what you can and cannot do. You hear the sad stories of the teachers that tell the student, oh, you'll never be anything. I just can't believe you think you can be that. You can. And you can tell that teacher, thank you for putting that challenge in front of me. Thank you for believing in me because just by you telling me that I couldn't, you challenged me. You know, it's hard, like you said, that we're not, we're not telling the stories and we're not doing this. I've realized through theater and through StoryFest and through any opportunity that I have, if you're not out there, then, then who is going to be out there for you? Take your family and look at them in the eye and encourage them. When your child comes back and says, I don't want to play baseball. I don't want to play football. I want to do UIL one act. Don't say, oh, no. That takes a lot of work. <laughs> say, you know what? Yeah. I support you. And then you learn from that. Before you know it, you're doing something great for your family and for yourself. Oh, I don't want to get up and go to school. When your child gets up and, like we say, we join the pajama party culture that we all think we have to dress and look like pajamas, mm -hmm. right away, correct that and say, no, you know, let, let's be a little bit more respectful for who we are. You represent me. Because once I see that, who gets told Oh, mira, I can't believe Miss Alvarez let that child go to school like that. Make a change. Be good to yourself. Be very, very good. And, and I want to say one thing, and I, I know I feel it in your heart. Love your parents for as long as you can, mm. for as good as they are, for as bad as they are. Forgive anybody before you're mad at them. Let them know why you're mad at them and forgive them. All of that interferes with your blessings. So get it out of your system and say, you know what? I hope you get some calls, Gabe. I hope lots of people say, you know what? I want to do the podcast. I have a better story than her. <laughs> you know, I want to be on the podcast to show you how to make tamales and, and, and tortillas. You know, we don't do that anymore. I don't even know how to make tortillas or tamales. <laughs> we go to Granny's tamales and we go to Super S for tortillas. <laughs> but really, inspire you. I love it when my children get together and, and, and we get to remember things and talk about each other in fun ways and, and, and uh, revisit back then and bring it forward. You know, it's, it's so much fun. So let me uh, summarize it by saying, love yourself for who you are. Love your parents for what they give you. And love God for the blessings he will give you always. Be an inspiration. Take the Mackie challenge. How can you inspire somebody else? Yes, ma'am. Ms. Alvarez, I appreciate you, and I'm so grateful that you came to hang out with me and do this podcast. Thanks, Carla, for driving her, and I love you very much. 
Thank you, Gabe, for having us here into South Texas, George West, Three Rivers, wherever you are within our listening voice. We are family, and don't forget that. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening to the Gabe Molina Podcast. 